I'll, I'll say this, it, it tends to be a difference in terms of gender and how people process emotions because um, for men, we have the, we have the um, lesson taught to us from a young age that the only appropriate negative emotion is anger, right? That, and not sadness, right? If you cry, you're weak, right? Or something like that. Um, if you're afraid, you're also weak. And so that's, it's like creates this perfect storm of, of that leading to be the only emotion that men know how to deal with difficult situations and that's socially appropriate in their minds for dealing with, uh, dealing with something. So that's a cultural thing. Um, I don't know exactly how it is in the Netherlands, but in the U S it's still very strong. Um, and so women do tend to, in my experience, and that there's research that shows it tend to be better at handling their emotions and, acknowledging other people's emotions and creating a safer space for it. Um, it's not that women are better people. It's just that that's sort of how they're programmed, you know, <laughs> and, and from society. So yeah, I wish I had a better, I wish I had a solution for that. Um, but yeah, um, I think as it comes back to leadership, right? It comes back to creating that environment where if the leader can be vulnerable and honest too, that, that, sets the entire tone for the organization that it's okay to do this. It's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to disagree as long as you're doing it in a respectful way. Have you ever been drained after an argument? Did you notice really annoying conflicts tend to repeat in your life? Most people find it difficult to deal with stress, with undesired emotions and regretful reactions. Hi, my name is Christian Moldovan, happy husband, entrepreneur, and empathy coach. Welcome to the Anatomy of Conflict show. Join me on this journey, learning by dissecting conflicts, putting them through the microscope, and explore better ways to navigate under pressure. Thank you for spending time with me today. Hello again. I'm super excited to have you back. This is my second episode of the podcast and we are going to explore the realm of leadership intertwined with the effects of limiting beliefs and understanding the differences society teaches us and what to do to make sure you register progress. Welcome to the Anatomy of Conflict podcast and I'm super excited and honored to introduce you to Josh Matthews Morgan. And before I do so, I want to thank you for subscribing to this podcast. You can best support me and uh, the Anatomy of Conflict show by leaving a review. Take a screenshot of your review and DM it to me at C-R-I-S-T-A-N-M-L-D-V-N on Instagram or on Facebook. Just find me and send me the screenshot of your review and I will give you back, I will give you a present, my Deep Listen with Empathy course, which is basically a step-by-step process on how to become a great listener, develop your empathy, and have a great impact on all the relationships around you. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for being here. I'm humbled. Now let's get to our guest for today. Josh Matthews Morgan is the co-founder of Learn Your Brain, a company that specializes in helping entrepreneurs master their mindset so they can build high-growth businesses. He's the creator, along with his mother and business partner, Dr. Nita Matthews Morgan, of the Mindset Mastery Coaching Program. 
This cutting-edge program uses tools from psychology and neuroscience to help entrepreneurs achieve greater levels of productivity, success, and joy. Josh is also the co-author of the book Deliver, How to Perform Your Best When It Counts the Most. Outside of Learn Your Brain, Josh is also a musician and solo artist. His music is a blend of styles that borrows from soul, jazz, and gospel. Get in touch with Josh by visiting learnyourbrain.com. Hi, Josh. Welcome to the Anatomy of Conflict podcast. I'm so happy and thrilled to have you here because um, I love what you do. I love your attitude and the style you have presenting your work and how you engage with people. And there's so many things that I admire about how you work and things that we share, uh, values that I find in you and I also have. And that made it like a perfect fit to have you in the podcast. So welcome. Thank you so much for having me, man. I really appreciate being here. I'm excited to talk to you today and see where the discussion leads us. It should be fun. Great. So let's get on to it. Um, you work with high achievers, with leaders, with business people, people that move the needle, people that actually do what I need to do, uh, mm -hmm. that, that get results. So what lights you up? to do this amazing transformative work that you do every day? That's a great question, man. And, and I truly believe that it's the leaders of the organization that set the entire tone for how an organization develops. Um, and it's what they, their behavior and what they allow within the organization too to happen uh, on a values level, on a behavioral level is, uh, ultimately reflective of, of them, you know, and it's ultimately comes down to them. So if you can, if you want to tra transform an organization, you got to start at the top, right? Because usually uh, not all of the problems start at the top, but um, all of the problems can be fixed from the top. <laughs> that's, so. that's for sure. Great. Um, you chose to tackle mindset and limiting beliefs. Yeah. What brought you to this? Uh, and how are these two uh, providing the biggest leverage from your perspective? Well, for me, mindset is not everything, right? There's, there's much more to being successful than just, you know, mindset and how you think. But um, I have a lot of personal experience with limiting beliefs. Um, and our, our business has evolved into that arena more and more as a specialty area of focus because of my own struggles um, with dealing with people, with anxiety, with um, you know, fear of letting people down, all these things that show up, uh, that showed up for me in a recurring way and that kept just sabotaging my life. Um, I luckily we've developed, you know, processes and systems to get rid of that. And like, I'm a completely different person when I started out my business journey. I'll, I'll say that I am, I am very different, uh, in, in a lot of aspects. And so it's very satisfying to see people, um, transform behaviors and, and feelings that have kept them stuck for in many cases, their whole life, but certainly since childhood, and uh, transform it very rapidly. And so, yeah, it's it's a passion project as much as it is a business for us, but more more so a passion project. <laughs> that's so that's so cool. And how's mindset and limiting beliefs and working on the mindset and working on letting go of limiting beliefs, providing leverage to uh, to people, to business leaders. Um, or even for an employee? 
it has so many different impacts. And um, maybe the easiest way would be to explain how, and this is a broad subject, so I'll just give the real condensed version of how they, how they tend to show up. Um, limiting beliefs show up for us when, when we are dealing with what our brain perceives, what we call the emotional brain perceives a, a stressful, difficult situation. Okay. Now, sometimes that's the story that's in, in our own brain that's making it stressful. Sometimes it is. Sometimes you, you know, as you know, uh, as a, as a leader, for example, you have to have, sometimes have difficult conversations with people. Um, and that can either be done from a place of calmness, from a place of, um, from a place of ease, from a place of compassion and lovingness, or it can be done from a place of a limiting belief and, an, and, a, and a reaction, an emotional reaction that you have. And those two produce very different outcomes in terms of the conversation, in terms of the, the, the overall impact of what's happening in the organization. So um, it affects so many different areas of your life. We often see limiting beliefs show up in the way that people, in what people avoid doing, right? Okay. And, and avoidance is as much a part of conflict that we found as, as uh, aggressiveness and going too hard mm-hmm. uh, on it too, because avoidance can create even bigger problems and can create more systemic problems, especially if the leaders at the top are avoiding uh, dealing with toxic people, for example, um, and how, and how to do that. So it's a, it's a very broad subject. So it's kind of hard to give just the cookie cutter answer to that, but it shows up in so many different areas of of people's lives. Yeah. The truth is everybody's speaking about limiting beliefs up up and down. Like it's already a common, uh, conversation and a common subject. Right. Right. Um, how do we define a limiting belief? And yeah. what's, what's this limited belief doing, basically? Yeah, that's a great question. So our definition is pretty broad. Um, our definition of a limiting belief is any kind of belief, story, or emotional reaction that keeps you from getting what you want or that sabotages you in some way. And so we keep it that broad because there are so many different patterns of limiting beliefs. It's not just the, the fears that hold ourselves back, which is what most people refer to as limiting belief or the things that keep us in our comfort zone and keep us from being bold and assertive. That's definitely limiting beliefs as well. But it could also be uh, anger reactions that people have that uh, screw up the relationship or really just, just things that are not optimal, we'll say, things that are not ideal and not the best way to handle situations too. Great. Thank you. I think this brings a lot of clarity to the table because, again, uh, we have um, this habitual uh, behavior when we take meaning and we bundle uh, meaning from here, meaning from here, and we attribute that to a word. And we use that word as currency, but we don't really understand the term. And I think this definition brings a lot of clarity. And thank you for that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you had a second question to that too, also, that I feel, feel like I didn't answer. It was about yeah, right, what yeah. causes them. Yeah. Was that it? Yeah, 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 exactly. Okay. So that's also a deep subject, but the very short version of that is um, a limiting belief shows up anytime there are cues in our environment or in our situations or, or in our, our talks with people, our context that remind us of a painful past event. Okay. And that makes sense. Um, does that make sense? And yeah. so the limiting belief itself is the uh, emotional reaction inside of the body, but the, the behavioral pattern can be different, right? So um, 
Maybe a is, quick story would be helpful, but yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah please do. Um, bring the story on. I, I was just trying to ask this. Um, in that reaction, in that emotional reaction, when, when uh, a person is triggered by, I don't know, uh, a gesture, a word, a situation, yeah. whatever yeah. it is, um, how, how does the limiting belief take form and shape uh, for every person? Does it come in a form of thought, in a form of emotion, or both connected? Both. Uh, yes, it comes in the form of both. But that I love how you separated those two because they are um, anatomically and on a brain level distinct. Cognitions and thoughts and emotions are produced in very different regions of the brain. Um, but what, what happens always when a limiting belief shows up is what we call the hijacking effect or, you know, brain scientists call it a hijacking effect, meaning this, Hey, our brain sees some kind of danger, threat, bad thing that's going to happen. And, uh, the emotional reaction, the, the raw emotion that happens in response to that hijacks our brain, literally hijacks our brain. So if you look at it on a, on a brain level, the parts that you need for calm, rational, um, planning of your brains, all those upper areas of the brain that are the neocortex, what, if you're speaking in leadership terms to the executive, the executive brain is often it's referred to those parts actually uh, shut off and turn off and the survival parts of the brain, the, the emotion driven parts of the brain um, get activated and get sort of hyperactive to deal with that difficult situation. Um, and so we're not at our best when we're under the, 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 um, the threat of, and when we're under one of these emotional reactions, because literally our best thinking our neocortex, our best thinking abilities are shut down and we're in, in a mode of deal with the threat, right? Kind of a scary thought to know that there are hijackers running around our brains. <laughs> it, it totally is. I mean, it, it's absolutely what happens, really. You, you, they see it on an fMRI scans, brain scans. The blood flows away from the upper areas of the brain and we get hijacked and, you know, it gets very, um, you get very irritable, very, you know, your whole, your whole behavior can change in a moment like that. Yeah, I, I always get into this uh, with the people I work with, with my clients. Like there are a few levels of the brain, and each um, superior level is hijacked by an inferior one, up until right. to the survival instinct and basic needs, basic functions. Exactly. And, exactly. Uh, people are so like, uh, yeah, but you can control that with your uh, logical brain. Mm. Yeah. No. Right. It doesn't work like that. Yeah, you, you, you get it, right? Of course. It doesn't work like that because they're entirely different brain regions and entire and the effect that thinking has on the on raw emotions is not very strong. Right. But it's, the other way around. But the other way around is very, very strong. Definitely. Definitely. Exactly. Yeah, you get this. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for sharing this. This is really powerful. Um what are the most common limiting beliefs when it comes to business relationships? That's a great question. And um, I think the, the, the easiest way to answer that is, is the common behavioral patterns that show up. And then from behind then you can figure out the limiting beliefs that are, that are underneath them. Um, when it comes to relationships, right? Uh, so this is where I, I think I shared with you previously about Shirzad Shamin's work and the, uh, the saboteurs, what he's created as the saboteurs. Yeah. And, um, and so I think we actually like, that framework a lot because it explains not all of conflict. It doesn't explain every piece of conflict, but it explains probably 75 to 80% of 
recurring conflict, recurring issues that people have with each other that show up and that are like these flashpoints, right? That show up over and over again. Um, and for example, I, the reason we like his work, that work too is because it, it puts names to the patterns and it, it helps people put their finger on it, right? Because the biggest piece of the puzzle is awareness. The biggest thing to understand is becoming aware of the pattern itself, right? And the limiting belief behind sure. it. Yeah. So um, one of my, one of my uh, saboteurs, limiting beliefs, is the stickler, right? And that comes out meaning when I'm under stress, sometimes I... Uh, can find the flaws in things, right? I point out the flaws in things. I say it's my way or the highway. And I don't, uh, <laughs> I'll give a quick story of that because I think it's, it's a funny story and it's, and it's ridiculous and crazy at the same time. So we were in an old office building and, um, and we, they had just built a nice studio in the back, but, but they did, hadn't installed the air conditioning in, in that section of the office yet. And we live in Georgia where it's, uh, in, in the summer, it's very hot. And so this place was like an overheated like oven, basically. And we had scheduled a video shoot that day for our business. With my, my mom is actually my business partner, so she and I had scheduled that. And, uh, you know, it was not a good day to shoot it because it was so hot that literally we would walk back there and sweat would just start dripping down our face, right? But that's not a good my thing. stickler took charge, right? Because here, here it is. Here's the context. Stressful moment, right? Hey, this is not working the way we wanted it to work. My stickler took charge and said, no, we're going to finish this today. We're, and we're going to finish this shoot no matter what because we scheduled it today. And <laughs> my mom went along with it. Um, and long story short, we, it took forever to shoot that video. The one video took hours because we had to keep jumping in to the air conditioning and wiping ourselves down. And then the next day we looked at the footage and it was completely useless because it looked like we had some kind of medical condition. Like, you know, everything was sweating. There's pools of sweat on our clothes. And she said to me, and this is when I've really realized the impact of this. She said to me, Josh, do you think that that might've been your stickler that was so adamant that we had to finish the shoot? And I thought, and I said, oh crap, you're right. Like, that was totally a pre-programmed thing. That was my reaction to stress that was saying, we have to do it today. We really didn't have to do it that day. Like we could have totally waited for a few days until the air, air conditioning was installed, but it was my limiting belief that it's got to be this way that caused that whole, basically a whole lost day. And also stress between the two of us because she resented me for, you know, pushing through that situation, right? Yeah, it wasn't easy for her. Definitely. Right, exactly. She was like, why are we doing this? This is stupid, you know? So that's an example of how they can show up. And one, um, and I'm much more mindful of it now, so it doesn't show up as often, but it's still something you have to be, be aware of, right? Yeah, definitely. Um, I have one question here. Um, yeah. The stickler or any other, any mm. other pattern, how... Mm. How is space uh, meeting your needs? Because when we do anything, every decision that we make, we make it the best decision to meet our needs, yeah. get our needs met. So yeah. how did the stickler help you meet your needs there? And That's then? a great question. Um, I think it helps you have some control over, feel like you have control over a situation. Yeah. 
that you might not have control over. <laughs> so basically, um, the rug was swept uh, from beneath your feet, and uh, it was a terrible day for the shooting. But you stick yes. to the schedule because that was the, like yes. the certain thing, and you you got yes. back control and you nailed it. <laughs> exactly, even though it was completely useless footage, you know, like so it was a total waste of time, right? But yes, in that moment, I felt like. I'm not going to let this thing control me, this, this circumstance. We've got to push ahead, right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> and it didn't turn out well, you know? Like, the whole thing was a waste of time. So, um, yeah, that's a great, always a great insightful question is that these behaviors that we do give us some kind of emotional payoff. We call it the emotional payoff, right? And for the stickler, it's a feeling that you're not powerless. It's a feeling that, you know, you have some control over other people even though you don't. <laughs> so the stickler is actually the enemy of surrender. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Right. And the thing that, the thing that we always emphasize is there are times when sticklers can be helpful, right? And there are times when these patterns can be helpful. Uh, but when you're acting from a limiting belief or acting from a, a saboteur or a behavioral pattern, it's almost never helpful because you're not seeing the situation clearly for what it is, right? Yeah, definitely. I think one important thing here is to acknowledge that even that limiting belief or a behavioral pattern that is causing us a lot of trouble is a way that we think is uh, getting our need met uh, the easiest way yeah. actually to do that. Exactly. Absolutely. And for this reason, um, I got, when, I, when I figured this out, um, it was such a relief for me because yeah, yeah. I, I've been in, in the shoes of um, kind of talking me down and, and being disappointed within myself and mm -hmm. being angry at myself for doing, mm -hmm. having certain reactions, like getting angry with uh, some situations that are completely uh, like minor or even if they're big, there's, there's no point in getting angry. Totally. But I was I was kind of beating myself down because of reacting in a certain way, and the moment I figured out, like, hey, uh, this is actually a program, and yes. th this is this program is actually helping me to meet my need for control uh, exactly. in, in this in a situation similar to what you described. That was the moment when I said, okay, I I can stop beating myself for this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That gave me so much empathy. I, I had like auto empathy with myself because it was such a great liberation for me. And I think Absolutely. everybody should be aware that whatever limiting belief you have, yes. uh, stop beating yourself for it. Yeah. And that's a, I, I absolutely love that. And I, and to take that even one step further, when you have that empathy for yourself and the compassion for yourself, you have it for other people too. And you can see them not as people who are acting out and doing things to deliberately sabotage or deliberately screw up a relationship and create conflict for the note for the sake of creating conflict, but people who are doing it for the same reason, right? They're, they're doing it because it's a wired program, like you said, and they are doing it because something about the situation makes them probably feel unsafe in some way. And that's the way they revert to, to dealing with it, right? It's not always productive. It's not always a good way to deal with it, but it's their way of dealing with that, yeah. you know. Of course, 
you know, you, you have to hold people accountable too. You can't just allow, allow it, be so compassionate that you allow it to exist and can continue. But at least you're not going with your own saboteur and approaching that person with anger and approaching that person with, you know, you need to stop this. There's something wrong with you. Uh, it's a completely different, you know, mentality and it opens the discussion. I, I'm so grateful that you brought that up. Um, because a lot of people think that compassion and empathy uh, take accountability and responsibility out of the equation. Right. And that's not true. Right. That's not true. true at all. Actually, true. Uh, through empathy, you bring to the table so much more uh, responsibility and accountability, but you do yeah. it in a safe, uh, exactly. constructive way. And exactly. that's, that's the, point, the point of it. Thank you for mm-hmm. saying that. Yeah, and you give people a chance to become aware of the pattern because they might not, because, yeah. and you know this, they're, the way they're doing it in their business life is probably the way they're doing it in their family life too, um, right? Because we are the same people in both environments. So it's it's actually a growth opportunity for them when you come from it as a place of compassion and empathy. Like you said, it's a way of shining a light on it and saying, hey, this is not working. Um, let's explore why you do this and let's come up with a game plan for changing the pattern, right? <laughs> Definitely. And, and giving the chance to like correct things. Right. Well, if that doesn't happen in a repeated pattern, well, that's a different conversation then. Exactly. Um, moving um, a little bit forward, how did these kind of limiting beliefs and these kind of behavior patterns affect your clients? Hmm. Why, why, why did these people come to you and say like, hey, I'm struggling with this? Yeah. And it, you figure out, oh, I see that uh, behavior pattern. I see that limiting belief or a set of limiting beliefs. Yeah. What is uh, this set of limiting beliefs and those behavior patterns um, limiting and restricting access to, the, to that person from? Like, yeah. Well, a lot of it, um, and our work is deep level stuff. So feeling like uh, imposter syndrome, for example, might be things like I'm not good enough to, uh, or what if people discover, you know, that I'm not the leader that I make, make it seem like, you know, I am. And so that, that, that's on like the really deeper level stuff. But um, here's a quick story that shows just how crazy this stuff is. Um, we had a client who had a marketing agency and, um, he was the owner of it. And they had a very difficult um, period of growth over the summer one year where they just brought on way too many clients and they didn't have the systems to support it, right? And so it was very stressful for him, his business partner, everyone in the organization. So they got through that time. Fast forward a year later and summer starts again. They're in a completely different place with their business. They, um, uh, they have systems in place. They have people trained. Everything is, there's no reason for that same thing to happen. But the owner comes to us and says, look, I am angry all the time. I am upset all the time. I am uh, really short tempered with my, my kids, my family, my team, team members. And I don't know why, but I think it's because he was pretty self-aware. He said, I think it's because I'm, I'm remembering all the pain from the last summer and I'm getting, and I'm going back to that place right now. And so it was, it was literally controlling his whole mindset even though the situation was entirely different, the situation wasn't even close to the same. He said, I know on a rational level that 
like we're fine and nothing is going wrong. But my emotional brain, because we he kind of knew about this stuff, is telling me get angry. Things are about to go to hell in a handbasket, right? And so um, that's how unconscious and deeply subconscious this stuff can be. And literally within thirty minutes, we had helped him shift that pattern, and he's and he was a different person because he said, "Oh my gosh, I, I, I see." I see the, the see the reality for what it is, right? <laughs> that, that's usually great. with limiting beliefs, we don't see the reality for what it is. It's a so, distorted view of reality. Yeah. Uh, so, what is what is the biggest transformation you witnessed in a client so far, uh, from the limiting beliefs uh, perspective, or similar things like that? Probably the biggest transformation is somewhat dealing with and this has happened multiple times, people who have lifelong patterns of anxiety um, transform that within a couple sessions, uh, discover the root causes behind it and transform it. And uh, we were, I worked with a leader who was able to do that. And he said, it's funny because I used to be the anxious one that was always worried and bringing all these concerns to my wife. And now like, it, like the roles have almost reversed because he's he's such a different person inside that he's just like, Oh, everything's fine. You know, like he doesn't bring, he doesn't project that anxiety out to the world anymore. And he said, now she's the anxious one. You know, he was kind of joking, but um, <laughs> yeah, it can, it can happen really fast. Like transformation like that can happen very quickly when you know how to pinpoint the root cause of it and shift it. That is great. And I think that brings a lot of hope uh, in, yeah. in people's lives because uh, as you said, there are people that live with anxiety for years and yeah. to have it, gone in a couple of sessions yeah man that's really powerful it, it was dramatically different after a couple of sessions um for sure and it's you know a lot of people don't know but it's limiting beliefs that are at the root cause of anxiety and things like that um it's implicit beliefs within the brain at the emotional brain level that cause all of these reactions right in our bodies which is what a limiting belief is thank you for that I hope you're enjoying this episode. Remember to subscribe, leave a review, and share it with your friends. Thank you. I love your support. I appreciate you so much. Um, so let's think a little bit about um, early stage entrepreneurs or people that want to start their own business. Mm. What are the common limiting beliefs or limiting thoughts? Let's call them that that like blocked them uh, from actually setting the things uh, in motion and, and starting yeah. that thing. And uh, how can people stop postponing and hitting the snooze button over and over again for the project of their dream? Yeah. Great question. Procrastination on things like that is always about protection. Like we talked about. So the number one thing is to realize what is, what am I, why am I procrastinating and what is it protecting me from? Why is it important that I procrastinate? Right. And when you look at it that way, from that compassionate, you'll see your brain has associated some kind of painful thing that will happen if you do the activity or, you know, um, the two most common areas we see it with early stage business owners and entrepreneurs are in the area of, of uh, marketing and selling, right? Because, that is should be the number one priority for any business owner when they're starting out. But so many of them have beliefs that, oh, I'm not good enough. And I can't go live on Facebook because people will see me and you know they'll judge me. And um, all this fear of judgment and what other people think. That's honestly the number one thing that I see 
is that uh, worried about what other people will think of you. And uh, that's the single biggest one. And that's the single biggest reason why we see people procrastinate. That, that is so true. And I, I'm talking from my own personal experience with this. Um, it took me six months from like kind of deciding that I'm going to do live videos on Facebook and other mm-hmm. social media platforms to the day I actually started doing it mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. it was like, Oh, but what, what am I going to say? What if I, it, it's going to be live. What if I, right. I'm going to do the bloopers and there's no right. chance to cut them out. And exactly. all that thinking around like, what if I'm going to fail and what yeah. are people going to tell publicly. about it publicly? Yeah. Right. Like, and one day I was like, you know, I got to do this and get myself as humiliated as possible, but I got I got to do this. Sure. And then I did the first live and it felt so bad. <laughs> it was so bad. And uh, the way I was, I, I was speaking and, and having huge pauses to think, and I still do that after yeah. eight months of daily lives. From that day, I said, I'll do one live every day, at least one live every day for one year. Now I'm That's eight months awesome. in. And yeah, it's such a relieving thing to uh, to be able to do that, to be, go out yeah. publicly and say things without yeah. worrying about who's going to be offended about it or sure. what are they going to think about my intellectual capacity or about sure. my hair or things like that. Right. It's, oh, yeah. man, it's amazing how, yeah. how, um, how many things we come up with in our head to to be afraid of, you know? <laughs> yeah. And a great thing that, um, I realized is that I lost six months overthinking this. Right. Right. That's a lot of time to, right. of, of, um, progress. That's a lot of progress to have lost, you know, yep. that's the sad part. The sad side of limiting beliefs is how, when they control us and when we let them control us, it's, it, it causes, costs severe consequences in our lives what about uh, you know that moment in the work environment when people just snap there's Mm -hmm. a lot of pressure or there are some high stakes and people are really worried that they're not going to meet the targets or i don't know it could be really, really anything and for some reason one person or another is just opening the Pandora's box and <laughs> taking all the worst things out. How does that come into play? And I'm, I'm very interested in how conflict emerges mm. and what, how, how is conflict serving us? Because there are good ways that conflict is serving us and there are not so constructive ways. So yeah. can you bring a little bit of light on that? Yeah. Let me dive to answer that question, dive a little bit deeper on to, into what we call the emotional brain. And um, there are three different, I'm not gonna go into all the systems of the emotional brain, there are actually seven different core emotions that um, all mammal, mammals, all mammalian brain animals generate and have, okay? Yeah. Um, it's not really relevant to go into all of them, but think of them like the primary colors, right? Like yeah. 
that you can create different variations. Combine of two and get another thing. one. Exactly. So, but one of the key ones for conflict is the anger or rage system. Okay. And so again, going back to the hijacking effect, right? So by the, t- by the time someone has blown up, that's usually like, it's, <laughs> it's almost like, well, that was going to happen anyway, because it had built up to that point. Right. And so yeah. what we know is if we don't have an outlet, if we don't have a way to shift out of the anger in particular system, um, then it will continue to grow and it will continue to fester and continue to get bigger. Um, and what can happen with these systems too, is that some people have oversensitized emotional brain systems. So meaning their default mode is anger, right? And maybe yeah. they can control it a little bit by, you know, taking deep breaths and counting to 10 and so on and so forth. But with a prolonged situation that you're describing, like a stressful period, they're, they're, they're like a powder keg ready to blow, right? If, if, yeah. if it's not dealt with appropriately throughout the situation, right? So their reaction might be huge and might be like, holy crap, like where did that come from? But really it was a buildup over time of momentum from a feeling, right? And, and it was and it's that hijacking effect of that anger system in their emotional brain that makes them want to fight everyone all of a sudden and all that. So um, that happens, man. I mean, I, I wish... I had a really easy answer for how to prevent that. But um, the main thing is to be, is for leaders to be attuned to people's emotional states themselves and to head it off at the bridge, so to speak, and to acknowledge people's feelings if they're angry um, and, and to, to tell them that it's okay to have those feelings, right? It's okay to express them uh, in, in, in an environment that's safe. It should be okay to, to, to be honest with your feelings, right? So, that answer your question? I <laughs> yeah, it does. It does actually, and uh, it makes so much so much sense. Yeah, um, we all face different phases of um, I don't know stress, um, difficult times of any kind. Yeah, and you said something that I think it's key information here. Uh, you got to acknowledge. Yeah, you, you got to acknowledge those feelings and accept their natural that they they're a part of who you are and right if you breathe and you if you have a heart and a spinal cord chances are you will have those emotions absolutely pretty absolutely. high chances so a hundred percent chances at some point in your life you'll have you'll deal with them <laughs> definitely so the question is why do people fight those emotions with so much passion like I, I am feeling angry and I hate that I'm feeling angry. <laughs> right. Right. Well, man, that's a deep subject. And it tends to, I'll, I'll say this, it, it tends to be a difference in terms of gender and how people process emotions. Because um, for men, we have the, we have the um, lesson taught to us from a young age that the only appropriate negative emotion is anger. Right. That, and not sadness, right? If you cry, you're weak, right? Or something like that. Um, if you're afraid, you're also weak. And so that's, it's like creates this perfect storm of, of that leading to be the only emotion that men know how to deal with difficult situations and that's socially appropriate in their minds for dealing with, uh, dealing with something. So that's a cultural thing. Um, I don't know exactly how it is in the Netherlands, but in the U S it's still very strong. Um, and so women do, 
tend to, in my experience, and there's research that shows it tend to be better at handling their emotions and acknowledging other people's emotions and creating a safer space for it. Um, it's not that women are better people. It's just that that's sort of how they're programmed, you know, <laughs> and, and from society. So yeah, I wish I had a better, I wish I had a solution for that. Um, but yeah, um, I think as it comes back to leadership, right? It comes back to creating that environment where if the leader can be vulnerable and honest too, that, that sets the entire tone for the organization that it's okay to do this. It's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to disagree as long as you're doing it in a respectful way, you know? This was not planned to go in this direction so deeply, but I got to ask this one. Yeah. Um, so what about the person that is working in a team uh -huh. where the leader, the boss, the manager lacks all that? And this person that's working in that department has a lot of empathy, has a lot of, um, you know, all, all the skills around compassion and all the patience, but you know, we all have a cap. And when the last drop falls in, in, into the cup, the tea is going down. So <laughs> what should a person that's working for an angry uh, entrepreneur, boss, manager, should do because i know that there are ways in you in which you as a team player not necessarily the team leader can influence the whole culture even though it's yeah. so much more easier to do it from the top sure well it's a very difficult situation i will say this in those situations there is formal leadership in terms of hey, this person has, uh, is officially my boss, right? And they have power over me. And then there's informal leadership, and which is um, if someone is consistently angry, they don't have much influence because people will avoid them at all costs because they'll be afraid that they'll constantly blow up. So the person who's actually the emotional leader of the group is that person that you described who might not even have the official power in the situation, but they'll be the ones that, the team goes to, you know, to ask questions that might be, that might provoke the anger of their boss, for example, because they're afraid of that. So they actually have incredible power within the organization in that sense that they have the ability to influence, but they don't have the ability to make the final decisions on things. Uh, and so that's difficult. And if you honestly, if you work for a boss who's like that and the boss is not willing to see that pattern themselves and not willing to change, And um, the first step is to, I would, I mean, a lot of employees are afraid of doing this because they're afraid of getting fired. <laughs> you know, that's always the sort of the ax that's hanging over their heads, but is to be honest and real with the boss about the effects of their, um, of their anger or of their dysfunction and, and, and the true cost to the organization because most leaders don't know the true cost of that to the organization. It's much bigger than we ever acknowledge it. Um, and so, you know, but maybe do that with one foot out the door. Maybe we'll do that with options. So, you know, you come from a place of power because the, the bottom line is people who are leaders in that sense, who are emotionally um, intelligent and who they don't usually tend to stick in organizations 
that are just dysfunctional at the top. They usually tend to find their way out of them over time. And it's a huge loss to the, to the company because, um, but there's only so much you can do if the boss is not willing to, to do, to work on that. You know, is that story about, um, how expensive it is when, um, like a, a, a top performer leaves the company yep. and how expensive it is when the least performant employee stays within the company. Exactly. <laughs> and that's, yeah. Absolutely. They're, they're both extremely costly. Yeah. 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 Uh, thank you for, for bringing all this together. The bottom line here is whether you're a manager, an entrepreneur, and you work with people, you have your own team or you work within a team, develop your empathy, develop Absolutely. your emotional intelligence, because that will give you so much leverage. Um, yeah. As a leader, you will take your team to the to places that they've never dreamed of. Mm. Or if you are an employee or you were part of a team and maybe your boss is not that great, but when you are great, you can make things work or yeah. you can work your way out from there to a better place. Exactly. Exactly. It, yeah. Empathy brings a lot of opportunities apparently. So that's Absolutely great. Does. Absolutely does. It's a core um, skill for everything. <laughs> yeah, Definitely. So I don't know if you're like me or not, but for me, I, I build my foundation around um, my closest relationships. Mm. And when everything is okay within my closest relationships with the people I love and I spend the most time, uh, everything else is just a natural effect from that. So yeah, for, sure. for me, um, when I say my, my closest relationships, I'm talking about the relationship with my wife, for example, mm -hmm. uh, with my close family uh, and my, my closest uh, people in business or friends, mm -hmm. like the five to 10 people that I surround myself with. Whenever these relationships are okay, uh, my progress in business and professionally is also thriving. Yeah. If I'm fighting with my wife one day, that multiplies three times in my professional relationships. In, in my, yeah. So my, my question here for you is, how are these two intertwined, like business relationships and personal relationships? And why, cannot, why can't we just separate these two worlds? <laughs> you know, um, there are managers that request from their employees, like, when you get into this building, you leave your problems outside. Here right. you need to be 100% in the company and you deliver 100% of the work or else I'll find someone better. Mm -hmm. You know, that, those kind of lines. And I find that gross, <laughs> honestly. It is gross. <laughs> yeah. And it's, and it's inaccurate. It's like, it's just not even the way people function. So. <laughs> yeah, we're biologically wired differently. So. Right. Yeah. Right. So how does this influence occur between, I don't know, maybe we had a bad day at work yeah. and we get home and somehow miraculously is going to be a bad day at home too. Right. Why does that right. happen? What, Ooh. what can, can't we see? It's a deep subject. So uh, two, two answers to that. One is going back to the hijacking effect of the brain. Going back to the hijacking effect of the brain, um, 
when you are dealing with what is considered like a threat, right? If you're dealing with like a, a threat, which is what all conflict is, is some kind of threat that's perceived by the brain, right? And so um, your brain doesn't, your emotional brain doesn't just let that conflict go when you change environments from your workplace to your family. It actually, it matters on it. It focuses its attention on it. There's a, there's a inbuilt uh, bias of the brain called the negativity bias, which means we focus and give the, our natural wiring is to focus and give a lot more attention and energy to negative things than it is to positive things. Okay. So it's very difficult to have a really tough day at work and to not be continuing at least at a subconscious level to focus on that, even while you're in the presence of other people who have nothing to do with that conflict and nothing to do with that difficulty. And so that's why it does tend to kind of come out in both arenas. There's no way to separate the two um, unless you're a Kung Fu monk master who's just amazing at compartmentalizing, you know, but for us mere mortals, the rest of us, we're, we're, we can't just do that. You know, it's, it's like the personal life bleeds into business life and, and vice versa. So um, it's, yeah, this, hopefully that was an answer to your question. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> uh, I'll make an analogy with this is it's, it's pretty much impossible or close to impossible to just erase windows and install a Mac in a split of a second yeah. Uh, right. Mac OS, uh, and then you go back to work, delete the Mac and put uh, the Windows right. and switch between Correct. operating systems. Uh, it's, Correct. It's not possible. So You can't. Yeah. The question is, what can I do? Me, the person that walks in the door, like I, I'm getting into my house. I had a very bad day. Yeah. My wife is extremely happy. And she's expecting me to come home so she can share that happiness with me. Yeah. And I come home like a barrel of powder. And I I just need that one thing to blow everything away. So what what can I do when I'm that angry? What can I do? And then what can I do when my my partner is is going through that? How can I support her or him if... uh, we're talking about uh, men and women here. What can you do when you're angry and what can you do when someone comes angry and upset from work at home? So we yeah. avoid that big bang. Yeah, that's a great question. And, and the biggest thing to understand is um, when someone's really in a bad space, you being really chipper and like excited and wanting to be happy and bring them to your happiness level doesn't just happen like that. Like, and it's nothing wrong with you. It's just like they're in a very different emotional state than, than you are. So everything sucks in their world when they're, <laughs> when they're in that negative emotional place. And it's just a temporary thing. But um, I think, I mean, honestly, the, I'm not married, so I can't speak from that experience. But having dealt with, you know, a family business, for example, and dealing, working with my mom, it's a big piece of it is just, having the compassion to sit and listen to them for what um, maybe they never had a chance to get it off their chest at work. And, you know, getting things off your chest doesn't always help things, right? It doesn't always make the situation better, but being listened to can be deeply um, soothing and deeply, um, you know, uh, affirming of someone else. So uh, I, it's, 
Yeah, honestly, the best relationships are people who own their feelings. They they know when they're going into that space. And sometimes if you're angry, you just have to be honest and say, listen, I, I want to hear about how great your day was. I really do. But I'm not currently in the mental, emotional space to be able to to share your excitement, right? To be able to share your positive energy. So I need to do something myself to get myself feeling better emotionally, right? And so um, it's taking that responsibility to be able to do it and having communicating in a way so the other person isn't hurt. Like, oh, you don't want to hear about my happiness? You know, like my great day? Like, well, I do, but not now. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that, that is great, actually. This. Yeah, that, that is great. And what you're saying here that we should always carry that big red flag with us. And when I get home angry, I should wave that like, hey, right, right. watch this. You've been yes. warned. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm on that spot. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm stepping on a mine right now. So yeah. don't move me. Don't yeah. impress me. Don't make me laugh right. because we're going to blow. Right. right, right, exactly. And, and like, um, you know, I've, there have been times when I've called my mom and I had this great idea and I was so excited and she was not in a good space at that moment. And now we have the relationship to where she can say, Josh, I want to I wanna talk about this, but I just can't even take this in. I can't even, I need to do something to make myself feel better, right? Like, it's just not a good timing. And I, and I, I used to, at first I was like, but, but I had, this is a great idea. And, you know, <laughs> and get kind of offended. But now it's, I'm just like, acknowledge that. Okay, we'll talk about it later. You know, it's like, it's that we don't both have to always be on the same emotional wavelength all, all the time at every moment, you know? <laughs> I think this is one of the worst expectations that people have to be in mm. perfect, uh, like perfectly synchronized 100% of the times. Right. Right. Absolutely. It, it, it actually, it's an, it's an expectation that's completely unrealistic and it hurts a lot of relationships because you're just like, well, there must be something wrong with our relationship. Why can't I fix him? Or why can't I fix her emotional state? It's like, it's not your job to fix your, your, your wife or your husband's emotional state or your team members. Like that's the, the only thing, the only person who can do that is them. <laughs> that's true. You can, you be, can be supportive. supportive but right. Exactly. Yeah. But um, you can't fix it. Josh, you're dropping gold nugget after gold nugget after gold nugget. I'm so thankful for this. This is amazing. Um, unfortunately, we don't have a lot of time because, sure. um, uh, it, it's a limited time podcast and got it. We're, we're going to have to uh, get close to an end here. Yeah. Even though I would love to have this conversation conversation going on and on for at least two or three hours more, because there's so much more to dig into. Um, mm. But maybe we have, we'll have the chance for a future episode as well. Sure. Sure. Before we, we, we wrap things up. Um, I want to ask you about, uh, your program, because I know mm. you and your mom uh, both worked on a very, very successful program that's uh, helping a lot of people. And I want you to just let us know and let the audience know more about it. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for asking that. It's um, it's a cool program, and it's, it's been we spent a lot of years developing it and perfecting it. And it's called the Mindset Mastery Coaching Program, and it is designed for for high performers. Um, for leaders primarily, the, the, our audience tends to be business owners and people who are entrepreneurs that uh, gravitate towards it. But really the principles that we teach within it are affect high performance 
in every aspect. Um, so it's not just about limiting beliefs and emotion because we find that there's other things that are pieces of the equation to build uh, high growth companies and to build highly functional and not dysfunctional companies. So like what, um, what's, what's there? Um, we have limiting beliefs and mindset. What else uh, can people work on in, in this program? Great question. So things as big as like getting clear on, on your vision. So we find that a lot of people aren't clear about where they really want to go and the, the exact details of that, uh, or they base their vision on, you know, what they think they can accomplish instead of what they really want to accomplish. And so that's the, the foundation where we start. And uh, we also talk about uh, creating purpose-driven companies. So purpose is a big driver of growth for us. And that uh, talk about getting everyone on the same page and getting people out of conflict is to be all building towards the same mission and the same you know, the impact that everyone within the company wants to have on the lives of their clients and their customers and even the world. So uh, things like that, emotional resilience training so that conflict doesn't come up as much because when people are happy, uh, conflict doesn't come up <laughs> nearly as much. There's no reason for it, right? People can, um, people are actually performing at a higher level. We know on a brain level, they're smarter, more creative. So um, we also teach them focus and productivity training so that they can, move even faster towards their vision and, and also rituals to get everything into a behavior level, how to create new habits, right. As an organization or as a, as a uh, entrepreneur. Sounds really powerful, like really, yeah, really cool. powerful and, and, and provides a lot of depth. So yeah, guys, I recommend checking uh, uh, Josh's uh, program and you can, you can follow him. You can uh, access him. You can contact him. How, how can people get in touch with you? Absolutely. Well, our website is learnyourbrain.com, just all spelled out. And uh, yeah, if, if anyone has any questions or wants to reach out directly, uh, my email is josh at learnyourbrain.com. And I'm always happy to hear from podcast listeners. And if this, you know, touched you in some way, this interview, or if you're curious to learn more about what we do, feel free to reach out that way through our site or, or my email address. Um, and all the social media pages, learn your brain is it's all there. So you can make it easy to find us. That is great. Um, I have two last questions that yeah. I ask uh, pretty much every guest that I have in the podcast. So one is out of all the um, experiences, the, the habits, the skills, um, mindset, everything you've got, one day you meet this mysterious man um, that's giving you a choice because when you met this person, it's going to tell you, uh, Josh, you have the ability to choose one thing from all your skills, all your experiences, mm -hmm. all your capacities, from everything that you are right now, and I will erase everything else. What will you keep? That's a fantastic question. I would keep the ability to shift limiting beliefs by far because it's this and, and to, to change belief systems, the skills and knowledge that I have of shifting beliefs because it is the foundation of success and it's the foundation of behavior as well. And so everything else, uh, you know, we give this analogy, like if you're building a house, right, you build it on, on a strong foundation. Your beliefs are the foundation of your entire house. And just because you can't see them, like your foundation doesn't mean they're not controlling the show. That doesn't mean that they're not actually driving your behavior. So 
that's the single most impactful thing that I would keep and uh, know that it's going to get me really a long ways if I still have that. So, and you erase my memory, right? <laughs> that is great. That is great. And in the end, um, what are three resources or skills that you recommend people develop or access? If there are resources, what, what do you recommend? If there are skills, what should they uh, develop? Great question. Um, in terms of skills, it's difficult to answer on a, just a general level because it depends on the person. But um, we do have a free beginner's guide to overcoming limiting beliefs that if someone wants to check out, feel free to reach out to me and I'll, I'll make it available to your listeners too. And maybe you can link in the show notes. Um, I, I think if you're a leader, the, the resource that we most recommend to leaders is Shazad Shamin's saboteur assessment. That is not something we developed and we have no financial relationship with him, but we believe it, there's a lot of value in that work. Um, and so uh, his website, you know, plug it here is positiveintelligence.com. And you can take a free assessment to figure out your own saboteurs and your own um, level of positivity too. He has two free assessments. So uh, that's Great. the second one. Uh, let me think of a third one. <laughs> the, the ability to create new habits too, right? Because we're, we're habitual creatures. So definitely. Um, Additionally, we have some content on our website that is uh, helps people create new rituals, helps people create new habits, and uh, goes from identifying that to actually creating it. That is great. Josh, thank you so much. It's been a great pleasure to have you on the show. And uh, again, there's so many valuable things that you dropped. And on behalf of everyone listening to this podcast, I thank you. And I'm looking forward for a future episode because there are so many things left to talk about. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Would love to come back. Thank you so much for having me, Christian. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Anatomy of Conflict podcast. Before you go, I want to ask you a final question. What is one thing that you've learned from this episode that you would explore immediately? What is that one thing that could bring a lot of value into your life that you take out from this episode don't wait take action now explore that one thing and make it valuable make it yours and if you love this podcast please go ahead and subscribe leave a review and share it with your friends it would mean the world to me and of course when you just send me a screenshot on email or a DM. You can find me on, on social media. I will reward you with my Deep Listen with Empathy course, which is valued at $300, and you will have access to it for free, and it will teach you how to become a great listener and develop your own empathy. Thank you. You have listened to the Anatomy of Conflict podcast. My name is Christian Moldovan. I'm your host and I'm looking forward to see you on the next episode.